So tonight, I wanted to explore something of the realm of the thinking mind. I know this is an area of practice, of life, that can be so seductive, can be a great torment in the mind, and something that we often struggle with. I actually was inspired to speak about it when uh, just recently I was reflecting on how in my very first Vipassana retreat in 1975, the only thing I remember about it is uh, asking some question of the teacher and his response was, thoughts should be like clouds in the sky. So, you know, I just interpret that now as believing that there was something going on with thinking. And then having recently had a period of practice and finding that there is still a lot of joy in discovery around this thinking process. You know, as it becomes, you know, has turned from something that was uh, immensely painful. And, you know, I was a dreamer when I was a kid, just lost in fantasy so much of the time. And, you know, feeling that pain of delusion um, and then just seeing how many thoughts can torment me that finding through the years of practice a shift in relating to this realm from being the enemy to actually being something that can be a support to practice and also that, you know, Because thought is in the mind doesn't mean we're not meditating. That there can still be awareness. And then, you know, it's really, I was also a person who wasn't so much into contemplation, which is an aspect of meditation practice that can be emphasized. And, you know, it's emphasized more in some traditions than others. Or using analytical thought. You know, I just, forget it. I'm a direct experience gal. (laughs) How do you use that? Forget it. But, you know, recently really discovering that with the accompaniment of mindfulness, it can be very profound. It can lead to deep understanding. So, you know, tonight the intention in speaking about thought is to really, you know, help you to examine in your own experience, what your relationship is to thought. And, you know, for me, many years into practice, the discovery that actually there was deep-seated aversion that, you know, wasn't very obvious, but that, you know, and it was really, there was joy in the mind at the discovery of this because it hadn't been seen. And so there just, it can be, a really joyful area of practice when we let the realm of thought be a part of meditation. And, you know, thought is something that the mind does. It's far better to have a healthy, skillful relationship with it than to just dismiss it, throw it out. You know, that, the, that there is a usefulness to thought 
Actually, in our lives, so many of us are trained around thinking, you know, have college degrees that verify we have been, uh, you know, learned to use thought creatively, intelligently, and yet, even so, can be bound by it, are not masters in the area of thought. And that we see when we sit quietly on the cushion. How trapped we can be in the world of thought. You know, there's so many different ways that this happens. Um, Just, you know, on the level of the story of our lives. The, all of the memories we have from the past, all of the plans we have for the future. It can become really confining. And, you know, it's just a sense of, ah, let me out of here. It's being lost or identified in thought can be really painful. I mean, whole universes get created around thought. And this is really easy to see when we're doing something like walking meditation. And just aware, step by step, and then a thought comes, and we're lost in it. Everything disappears. Now we are lost, absorbed into this fantasy world, or this construct of the mind, that is really taking us out of a direct relationship with life. And, you know, as we see in our practice that the mind will think about anything, that these thoughts, you know, sometimes we have thoughts arise in practice and it's just like a wonder, where did that thought come from? You know, it's like so bizarre Actually, only in this last week, I, you know, practicing at home in my house, nobody there, sitting there, twice I laughed out loud at the absurdity of the thought that arose. You know, and it's like, my God, where did that come from? You know, it's phenomenal. And yet, if we look back in our lives before we began practice, it's quite likely that we believed many of the thoughts that arose in our mind. You know, our th- thinking our thoughts reflected the way things are. But, you know, sitting here on retreat, I doubt that there's many of us that still believe that. You know, it, because we do, we see the most absurd thoughts arise in our minds. And I think that's helpful, because, you know, we just see you know, have space will arise, the thinking mind. <laughs> and it doesn't, it's, you know, it's indiscriminate in what it will think about. Actually, one teacher at IMS had the, the phrase, um, you know, the mind has no shame. It will think about anything. It is truly humbling. I mean, whoa. <laughs> but, But the problem is, of course, when we identify with these thoughts, when we get entangled, when we are like the spider caught in the web of them. 
And that's when it becomes really torturous. Byron Katie, um, she's, uh, I don't think she's from any particular tradition, but just a woman of great wisdom. And she was once severely depressed in her life and had been bedridden and suicidal. And she found a way out of it. And in her exploration of freedom and suffering, she says, I discovered that when I believed my thoughts, I suffered. But that when I didn't believe them, I didn't suffer. And that this is true for every human being. Freedom is as simple as that. I found that suffering is optional. I found a joy within me that has never disappeared, not for a single moment. That joy is in everyone, always. It's kind of hard to believe when you're caught in those thoughts because they are so painful. And so the practice, you know, really... Learning to, you know, see the identification, feel the pain of that. Uh, And that's where, when we bring it into the realm of practice, the process, it's like seeing what is happening there. You know, what the mind is jumping at, hooking onto, identifying with. Seeing how painful it is. And when, you know, it's really true that when we see the pain of identification, wisdom comes in, wisdom strengthens, letting go happens. We see, we don't need to do this. This is optional. But that, that being optional comes through understanding. You know, it's... Um, It's really, we have to see the nature of thought. We have to see that it arises out of conditions. Sometimes it's hard to see the conditions. Sometimes it's really obvious. You know, somebody maybe coughs and you're sitting close to them. And suddenly there's a thought, oh my God, I'm going to get a cold. And then we identify with that thought. And the next thing we know, we're getting up and moving across to the other side of the hall. You know, and so, you know, we just see that there was an, in, uh, an incident and a certain kind of thought arose. And, and then, you know, if we pay attention, we can also begin to see the effect of that thought. Where if, you know, it's in the mind that identifies with, that thought can become really heavy really painful. Maybe you sit there thinking, you know, just have this one thought about the person coughing, and then you think, oh my God, I'm going to get a cold. (gasps) I've always had weak lungs. Oh my God, that's going to ruin my retreat. I might as well go home right now. You know, know, it just starts to get really dense, heavy. Um, And, you know, if we pay attention, we see, oh my goodness, look, you know, it was one thought, and boom, this mother mind just spun out in a certain direction, and we end up feeling we cannot practice, you know, that it's, we need to get out of here, you know, um, you know, and this is just what happens. But if we pay attention, we see that. Or we might see what happens when we really glorify thoughts. Uh, you know, we, we can sit here and just start to imagine 
that with all of the wisdom we are gaining through this practice, we will go back into our lives. We will live perfectly. We will be the wisest, most compassionate person that has ever walked this planet. And all of our friends, family members will be in complete awe of us. I love this line. From, it's from a Tibetan teacher, um, Geshe Shawopa. He, he speaks quite eloquently about this. He says, Do not rule over imaginary kingdoms of endlessly proliferating possibilities. <laughs> uh, there can be a great seduction there. And, you know, with that one, it's really having to it, it is like that walking and seeing how, boom, everything else disappears. You know, and that we're out of connection. We're lost in fantasy. And, you know, that's painful. But we don't see that when we're wrapped up, engrossed in the enchantment of that thought. So, you know, but we pay attention and it's like, Mm. Well, I mean, just to watch, you know, you're sitting there and you start thinking these glorious thoughts and getting more and more and more puffed up. <gasps> My God, the energy needed to maintain that image. Whew, it's exhausting, you know, it, it, and, you know, the first time we open our mouth, it's quite likely that we'll get a shatter <laughs> So, you know, we, we really begin to see the suffering of the identification with that. Sometimes we find our thoughts are really driven by the worst case scenarios. And, you know, the, it's like we just keep sitting here. And maybe it's worry. I mean, worry is something that, you know, has been prevalent in my own life, my own my mind, the, the mind stream that has been going through this karmic lump. And, um, you know, it's just like it can be endlessly planning the future, worrying about what might come to be, worrying about what we have to do. Will we be able to do it? How can we do it? Worrying that others won't support us in what we have to do. And, you know, we just can keep, at time, the worry can f- feed into imagining how bad our life can be. The, you know, disaster that can happen. And, you know, it just will exacerbate fear. But, you know, this is again, looking, seeing, you know, becoming aware in this process. I'll speak a little bit more uh, in, a, in a little bit about the relationship between emotions and fear. Mm. <laughs> and then I have always, I, could, I am very interested in how the thought process translates into meditation. So we come to meditation, simple instruction to be with the breath. And then... What happens? There's the story about the breath. My breath should be a certain way, and it isn't that way. Oh, no. 
anxiety, fear, I should be able to have this perfect breath. And we keep pushing away this breath because it's flawed in anticipation of the next breath. And then there's a story about our attempt to be with the breath. It's because I'm too deeply wounded. I wasn't loved enough as a child. I have this deep inner wounding that won't allow me to simply be with this breath. Or, uh, you know, the conditions here aren't quite right. You know, that person beside me is breathing too loudly. How can I possibly be with my breath when their breath is dominating the experience? And then it gets a little bit more refined. It moves from the story about what's happening with the breath to the commentary on the breath. You know, and it's just this little chattering mind that, oh, well, now it's getting really big and full and rich. Oh, yeah. And, well, look at this. Oh, there, no, I can't feel it very strong. Oh, it's a bit tight. Oh, I feel tension now. Which is, you know, just not an accurate reflection, but just a little chatty, chatty, chat, chat. You know, about that, that is different than, you know, the mind touching and knowing tension, the mind touching and knowing expansion. It's just a little chat, 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 you know. And then it happens that we have some profound insight in our practice. And it's a real moment of seeing things in a new way. And, you know, for a moment, it's like, whoa, look at this. But then the mind says, okay, well, we'll make this into our new reality. And it starts, you know, kind of filtering all experience through the, an idea that we now have, our new idea about the way things are. And then we again find ourselves thinking about the experience rather than simply being present to it. Oops, sorry. But fortunately, our practice really helps us to at least find space in this tangled web of thought, to find balance, to really be able to see, ah, this is just a thought. And that thought, this is just a thought, can be so freeing when we have really been entangled in a story. You know, when we are completely caught up and then the mind recognizes it's not the truth. It's just a thought. It's just a construct in the mind. Now, I experienced this one time when uh, I was sitting in the middle of the night and had a lot of pain in my chest. Um, 
No, it was pretty quiet around me. The thought that I was going to have a heart attack, nobody was going to know, you know, it's going to lead to death. You know, the more I thought these thoughts, the tighter the sensations got in my chest. And then, in one moment, it was the realization, this is just a thought. And the space opened up. And it was a case, and this won't always be the case, it was the case that what was happening in the mind was strengthening the physical sensations. You know, there was a real tightening that was happening. We can see this when we have fear around body pain, that, the, that there's just a locking that happens, and those sensations become stronger, tighter, more piercing. And when there's space... There's more ease, allowing. And the sensations just are sensations. You know, and the thought was just a thought. And there comes a real freedom there. We aren't lost anymore. We aren't viewing life through what that thought is saying. But, you know, the mind is open. It can receive all kinds of data. So one aspect of finding a healthy relationship with the thinking mind is to notice the attitude, is to notice if there is some desire to get rid of. I mean, don't we like those quiet sits? Don't we like that calmness? And isn't it really easy to think that that's the way it should be? And so this little chatty thought comes in, and it's like, ugh! You know, even if it's a mundane thought, even if it doesn't have a lot of pull, there can so easily be a preference for the calmness, the tranquility. And so... Reaction, you know, even to tiny thoughts. So, when thinking is present, notice is it okay that this thought is here? Is this thought the enemy to be gotten rid of? Is this thought the pest, the irritation? And just notice, not that you need to judge yourself, but that's again, we learn from what's here. If there is an aversive relationship, feel the pain of that aversion. If we really feel the pain of that aversion, we see, don't need to identify. Letting go happens. Sometimes there's the real pull, the love of the thinking mind. And this can be especially true for people who have really trained in the use of thought. Because, you know, in our work we've been rewarded for it. That, you know, creativity, 
Uh, you know, there's different ways creativity comes, but you know, for a wordsmith, creativity through the thinking mind. Um, but you know, or or that we just get pulled into the realm of fantasy. You know, the that pleasant, enticing thoughts, which you know, on retreat can be around the sense doors. You know, it's not uncommon for sexual fantasies to arise in the mind that really have a strong lure, a pull. Sometimes um, the pull is more a seduction into the thinking of brilliance, which happens around Dhamma thoughts. You know, where we get really enticed into to expanding our profound wisdom as we're sitting here. And so, you know, our attitude, it can be reflected in the attitude in that, oh, but this is really bringing me something. You know, that, that, that we really, there's a greed in the mind towards this thinking process. This, too, we need to see. You know, because our practice will take us deeper than the conceptual mind. Thought can direct us in the right direction to look. But, you know, the real intuitive wisdom is not limited by concept, is a responsiveness, an engagedness, a direct experience that's non-conceptual. And so, you know, if we really get seduced and enchanted by the level of intellectual understanding. It cuts us off. And so to notice, do we really have an attitude towards thinking where we think that is going to be the means that will completely free us? You know, that might translate into a memory of pain from the past comes up. Painful situation. And it is something, it is a karmic knot that is tight, compounded. But what can happen is that the the rational thinking mind comes in and thinks it's going to figure it out. And, you know, we can end up spinning around these incidents from the past. You know, just replaying them over and over again as if we could work it out through the rational mind. Rather than, you know, bringing that experience into the realm of meditation where we become interested in the process, in the unfolding, engaged with mindfulness. You know, where we really let the mindfulness be the refuge. Where there's the memory. And to know that memory is a type of thought. And that thought might come by way of image, story, words. And so that memory arises, the scene of that, 
thought gets triggered, the effect of that? Is there an emotion present? Being with that emotion? And then we're in the realm of being present with it. Rather than getting into some self-absorbed tailspin trying to figure it out. There's a very big difference. I actually see the mind is not working in a really linear fashion tonight, so um, I hope you can bear with this if my mind's taking jumps here and there. Uh, So coming back to the piece of attitude, can we look towards accepting that thought does arise? Can we look towards accepting that at times we get lost in thought? But when that happens, is recognized, we simply begin again, become present right there. This is from Sayada Utejaniya, one of the teachers from Burma that I've practiced with. When the mind is thinking or wandering, when a sound keeps catching your attention, just be aware of it. Thinking is a natural activity of the mind. It is natural that if you have good hearing, you will hear sounds. You are doing well if you know that you are aware that the mind is thinking or hearing. But if you feel disturbed by thoughts or sounds, or if you have a reaction or judgment to them, there is a problem with your attitude. That they should not be around is the problem. So understand that you have just become aware of some functions of the mind. These two are just objects to your attention. So when a thought appears, this too can just be another object of meditation in the same way that sounds, sights, smells, taste, touch are objects of meditation. It's to become aware of this thought. I want to do a short exercise around thinking because this is one that was really helpful to me um, because I didn't really believe that thoughts could be there with awareness. No, in my experience, I had so many times seen thoughts disappear or getting lost in thought. It seemed to be one or the other. If there was awareness of the thought, it disappeared. Or one simply just got lost again um, in the thought. So I'd like to do this exercise to see if it helps to you know, for you to see, and maybe you already know, it's fine, um, that one can be aware of the thinking process. So just sitting. Relaxing. Awareness of the body. Sitting. 
sensations. And now for a short period of time, we are going to think. We are going to think deliberately and non-stop. And the task here is to just be aware of every thought. Don't let one thought go by that there isn't awareness of. You can think anything. Think garbage thoughts. Think whatever comes into the mind and make up a thought if there's no thought there. But just keep thinking. A stream of thoughts going through the mind and never taking the eye off the ball of these thoughts. Just keep thinking and thinking and thinking. And thinking, even if you hate it, think how much you hate it. And then relax. So was there the possibility of being aware of these thoughts as they were generated? Could they be an object of meditation? And then another interesting exercise for me. It's another short exercise. So sitting once again. And now, don't think. Don't let a thought in. Not one thought. Now noticing. One, was it even possible? Two, was it peaceful? What kind of energy did it bring up? And how many times do we subtly do this in our practice? So just food for thought. When we were first new to meditation, it was quite likely and helpful that as thoughts arose in the mind, to really just notice it and then come back to some other experience because they're so seductive. And in fact, at the beginning of a retreat, that can also be very helpful. But to know that the exploration can really move beyond that, You know, once there is some steadiness. And that exploration will take us into what the pull is, what the mind is grasping at, identifying with. What's fueling the thoughts? And this is where the relationship between emotions and thoughts is really helpful to look at. 
This is especially true in the case of repetitive thoughts, thoughts that keep replaying themselves over and over and over again. Because, you know, it's very likely that we can look at those thoughts many times and think, this is just a thought, but it comes back and grabs again. Because there's really something underlying it that's calling to be seen, to be known, to be recognized. So, you know, if we find there's a theme, some memory that keeps coming back, to see it on the level of thought, but then to pause, to notice, is there something that's fueling it? Is there an underlying state there? And, you know, it may be that we just cast the eye to the atmosphere in the mind, or that might be too elusive. It might be better reflected in the body. That, you know, if there's an underlying state of fear, that there might be a contraction, a tightness, holding. And then to stay in the process as we become aware of that, What happens? It might be another thought arises. What's the impact of that thought? Watching that you don't move into the figuring out, but that you really stay in present time awareness with the unfolding. And if we find that we're really getting lost in the stories around these repetitive thoughts, it's really helpful to... Uh, sit with the eyes open so there's a stronger support to staying in present time awareness. It can be that when uh, either thoughts are really slippery Um, you know, they have a way of getting under the radar screen. You know, earlier I was talking about how there was the commentary of the breath, which is different than the actual uh, mind touching the experience of the breath. Uh, That was actually quite a subtle level of seeing because, you know, it appeared like the breath, but it wasn't really fresh. You know, it, it was so close to the experience, but was still on the level of concept. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's helpful to note when thinking is occurring. You know, it just sharpens the perception that this is thought. Um, And that when, when it's combined with strong emotion... That then uh, helps, the noting helps to just for the mind to know what's transpiring. You know, even in the realm of emotion, to be able to distinguish, you know, sadness, sadness, disappointment, um, fear, anxiety. So, you know, and you want to be careful with noting that it doesn't become the object of meditation, that it's really just a light whisper that helps to connect with the experience that helps the experience to be known. But if that knowing is happening already, you know, we don't need to use noting. But it can be a skillful tool.
to stay interested even in these repetitive thoughts or even the mundane thoughts i had a uh, you know i had a period in my own practice where suddenly there was just these mundane thoughts they were so you know just <laughs> You know, like the sky is blue, the floor is brown, you know, just nothing. (laughs) The seemingly nothing thoughts. And then my teacher just instructed me that if I could be mindful of these mundane thoughts, this would actually help me to learn to be mindful of all of the mundane activities that we do in our lives. I mean, let's face it, not everything we do in our life is completely exciting and ecstatic. Um, And there's a lot of repetitive actions or things that we do. Only tonight I was thinking, the dishes are endless. (laughs) You know, so it's like the being with mundane thought. It's, you know, another training in being aware of activities that are neutral that you know and this really helps us around um, you know in our lives we can set up pattern of needing to be really high or really low to feel alive and you know that just sets up patterns of addiction of you know really relying on experience and we our journey is to discover the, the happiness that's not based on conditions. So needing to discover the awareness that is present with mundane experience. It's really helpful. Chanel, a Korean Zen master from the 11th century, said, do not be afraid of your thoughts. Only take care lest your awareness of them is tardy. And, you know, we can really see at times in practice when there are a lot of thoughts, but mindfulness is strong, the mind is undisturbed. They are just another appearance. We aren't involved in the thought. We aren't lost in the thought. And so mindfulness continues. It's just a support to practice. But it's not, that thought then isn't taken to be self. There isn't a whole, you know, locking in around that thought. And then it's simply a support to meditation. The more thoughts, the more support. A piece of this is that we need to really learn to trust in mindfulness, the power of awareness, because we have been so lost in our thoughts and so at the mercy of our thoughts. And those thoughts actually have a lot of power. You know, they have a lot of power we see within our own minds, then we be we see that as we pay attention that thoughts move into speech and action and that you know if there isn't awareness we say things that are unskillful unhelpful that cause pain and have to live with the ramification 
So, you know, it's like, as we really begin to see for ourselves that mindfulness brings spaciousness. It allows the thought to be seen in its nature. You know, its nature is impermanent. Its nature is that it will not bring that lasting happiness that it's unsatisfactoriness in its nature, and that it's really impersonal. It's arising out of conditions. When, you know, we are present with thought, with mindfulness, this becomes revealed. This becomes seen, known, and understood in our own experience. But it will happen that we'll have a moment where thought arises. Maybe there's identification. We become aware of it for a moment and then get lost again and become aware of it again and get lost again. And, you know, that's where we could become discouraged. We think, oh, the practice doesn't work. But we will gain confidence if we really notice the times when we've been lost and entangled and then been able to recognize it and it disappears. You know, we really see the power of that awareness where the wisdom can come through, where the thought can be seen in its nature. When we can see thoughts come and go, we begin to see that the awareness itself is not tainted by these thoughts. This is illustrated through uh, an example that one of my teachers, Minjur Rinpoche, gave. He, He talked about how he was up in Nova Scotia, and he was visiting this retreat center that's right by the ocean. And he arrived, and there was perfect weather, the sky was cloudless, the ocean you know, was deep and a clear blue, and he said it was very pleasant to look at. And then he woke up the next morning, and the ocean was thick and muddy as soup. And he, you know, he wondered what had happened. Yesterday it had been so clear, blue, beautiful. And so he actually went down to the shore, and he couldn't see an obvious change. There was no mud along the shoreline. And he looked up at the sky and he saw saw that it was very thick clouds. They were dark in color. And when he looked down at the water, he saw that the clouds had changed the color of the ocean. And then he looked more closely and he saw that the ocean was still clear. And, you know, so at times we look at these clouds, 
or these thoughts. And they're like menacing clouds. They're dark. They're heavy. Sometimes they're puffballs. They're light. They're, they're, you know, you can, insubstantial. But, you know, the sky itself is untouched. It's just an appearance in awareness. And, you know, the difference when we relate to thoughts like that than when we believe those thoughts is huge. So, can these thoughts be just like clouds in the sky? There is times in meditation where we will use thought in a skillful way, where it can be helpful. You know, um, it can be a way of strengthening the quality of investigation in the mind. And, uh, you know, I've used this at times where there's been a great stickiness. And, you know, just might use the question, what's happening? Or who's suffering? And then what, what I found is it really needs to be asked with mindfulness, with presence. And then, you know, it isn't the looking to figure out, but it's the turning the mind to look more closely. What's happening here? Or sometimes, you know, when our practice um, might be seemingly really habitual, um, some questions that Sayadaw Utejaniya has offered. Do you need to look in order to see? Do you need to listen in order to hear? Do you need to focus in order to be aware? And then, you know, it's just kind of looking in our own experience. Do you need to focus in order to be aware? Huh. Investigate that one. (laughs) Is there a difference between the quality of mind when we're aware And when we're not aware, you can't stay not aware for long if you use that question. (laughs) There's another way we use thought in meditation, actually in the Brahma-vihara practice. You know, we use phrases, we use images, but we, we use it in a very specific way as an object, uh, uh, useful, using the construct of mind to turn the mind towards a certain quality. I mean, there's, you know, we don't want to uh, think that we have to, that that the thinking mind is not useful. 
And, you know, there is actually forms of practice around the analysis where what actually ends up happening is you analyze things till, you know, you realize <laughs> no answer. So there, there is skillful ways to use thought in meditation, too. Uh, I think next week I'm probably going to talk more about certain contemplations that can be used that are helpful. So, you know, to just to put that in the mix of the realm of the thinking mind. Hmm. Hmm. So, thoughts. bringing them to the table. You know, nothing is outside of the realm of practice. Letting it be an exploration, investigation. And the world of thought, you know, it has so many different ways it appears in images, dream images, words, um, Subtle concepts, real re, pictures. Um, actually, I notice after a day on the computer, and then you know I leave the computer, and the thoughts appear letter by letter in the mind. There's just different ways, different different ways that they have of getting in under the radar screen, of seducing. So, you know, don't be discouraged if we find that, you know, a new way that we've become identified with the thinking mind. You've recognized it. Rejoice in the seeing. Finding the friendly relationship with. You know, not the friend that entertains the thoughts. But this, too, can be understood in its nature, as it is. Making peace with the thinking mind. Letting it be a support. I guess that's enough thoughts for this evening. <laughs> Let's just sit for a moment. May the wholesome energy of our practice be dedicated to the welfare, happiness, and liberation of all beings everywhere.
So closing with the chanting of the sharing, reflections on the sharing of blessings. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.